Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message. Our hope is that you would not only feel inspired, but that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. Well, hey everybody, I'm Mekon Carter and I'm grateful to be with you. You, you can be seated. I'm going to try my best to transition this because I could have just stayed there forever. Man, there's something special on this house. There's something special. Before I uh, jump into this message that I feel like God wants to wants me to share tonight, I just want to, you know, your pastors are pretty amazing people, and <laughs> Pastor Robert and Taylor, this is this is truly incredible um, to be this young and this hungry and this spirit of anticipation, it's unusual. It's all the first time guests here for the first time all day. It's just, there, there's like a, a cadence that's coming out of this house. It's like a, the best way I can, it's like a, It's like a marching orders coming out of this house, like a, like a marching, like a, I can't put my finger, it's like a sound that God is getting ready to create a new rhythm, a new tempo, a new, he's orchestrating something in the, it's shifting even as we speak. It's not church as usual. It's not church as the same. There is something supernaturally happening that's giving a different cadence, a different rhythm, a different sound that God is getting ready to do in this place. And I am just overwhelmed, to be honest. And uh, I hope you guys know that this, this is not normal. This is not usual. This is... There are a lot of dead churches. There are a lot of packed churches with no presence in it, but this place is packed and there's presence and there's every nationality and every demographic and I, this is special. So I honor you tonight. Thank you for allowing me to join the worship team and, and preach a little bit. Uh, I'm here with my amazing wife of 21 years, April Carter in the building. And uh, some of you may have seen her on Social Girl with Taylor earlier last year, I think. And uh, I was jealous that uh, she got to be on something and I didn't. So I prayed and fasted. So I'm here now. <laughs> and uh, for those of you that may not know that uh, the past two years, my wife has been battling breast cancer. And uh, um, I don't know when it was. When was your, clear, your first clear scan? October 17th of 2020. So she's still cancer free, y'all. All glory be to Jesus. All praise and glory be to Jesus. There's too much life in her and too much she has to accomplish for it to be over and um, so we're grateful. We've been celebrating that for a while. We have three amazing boys, uh, Meeks, Elijah, and Amiri, and they range from ages 22 down to 14. And uh, y'all, I'm about to be a grandpa this November. It's true. I'm gonna be the youngest grandpa that ever lived, 32 years old. Now my wife just turned 40 a couple weeks ago, last week actually. So she got rid of the cancer, but gray hair and Botox is coming, girl. Go on with your bad self. <laughs> so yeah, I know some of you are like, how are you that old? Black don't crack, black don't crack. That's why I look young. I don't get Botox, I got black talks. You don't know nothing about that, girl. I thank my daddy for that. And my mama, she is a white girl just like my wife, and she is a hillbilly, hee-haw hillbilly. A couple teeth left, hillbilly. It's true. And my dad's black, black, like purple Kool-Aid and black nativity scene. TCB, Jerry Curl dripping. So I'm half hood and half hillbilly. I'm hoodbilly. You don't know nothing about this, boy. <laughs> Man, but I'm, I'm really glad to be here and uh, 
Super excited to share this message with you. Uh, my wife loves to take walks, summer walks. She's a, she's a walker. It's really not a walk, it's more like a walk. I call it a walk because it's like a walk jog, it's in between. And I'm not a walker, I'm not the type of dude that just likes to walk on my free spare time. It's not like my favorite thing to do. I love spending time with my wife. I love being a good husband and getting active with her. But it's, it's really not my favorite thing because she doesn't like, I like to stroll. She likes to climb mountains and go through all these hills and I'm tired and I'm exhausted. And she asked me all the time, you wanna go for a walk? And you know, I'm trying to like tell my face to show that I wanna go on a walk when I don't wanna go on a walk, but I, I can't do it. So she's like, you wanna go? I'm like, yes, I would love to go with you. Right now, actually. Are you ready? Let's go. You know, I just worked out for four hours, but if you wanna go walking again, we can do that. And so we go on these walks and I drag my feet every time. I drag my feet, I don't wanna go, I don't wanna be there. And it reminded me that there's a lot of people in life that's just like that, that God wants to take them on a journey and they're just dragging their feet. They're not too sure they wanna go with God and there's some things that are happening. So I wanted to talk to you about a summer walk. I wanna talk to you about walking with God, but maybe in a different way than what you're used to. You know, when I started thinking about walking with God, I thought, well, okay, I could, I, there's a cool story. I could talk about Peter walking on water. That would be real summerish, and I could probably preach it. Like, I think I'm a preacher. I mean, your pastor is a preacher, preacher. I mean, he... So I just try to copy anything he does, and I just learned that if you just shout and spit, people think you're a preacher. So that's all I'm going to do tonight is shout and spit and dress fresh. Your pastor is the freshest dresser of all pastors in the world. You make me sick. And uh, so I thought about, maybe I could go to Mark 15, Mark 14 and talk about how Peter was with the disciples and Jesus was walking on the water and the disciples seen Jesus coming and they got there and uh, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come and I'll come. And Jesus goes, well, go ahead, Peter, come. And so Peter gets out the boat and walks on water. And right then I would have got real preaching and be like, he's not just walking on water, he's walking on the word of God. Someone say amen. And we all would have went crazy and it would have been cool. But I thought, man, that's a cute story. You probably heard that before. Let me talk about a different kind of walk. I'll let Pastor Robert talk about walking on water. And so I thought about Genesis chapter 32. In Genesis chapter 32, we're going to go there in a second. It's about this man named Jacob. Now, Jacob, he's got a rough past. I mean, he's kind of got a dysfunctional family. He's He's a twin, so he's got a twin brother, and uh, his twin brother's name is Esau. And Esau was the firstborn, so in the biblical cultural times, the firstborn got the blessing and a birthright. And so Jacob kind of just got the leftovers. Well, his mother, Rebecca, she really loved Jacob, favored him. And so she would whisper things into Jacob's ear to try to get the blessing from his brother or get the birthright from uh, the father and get the blessing from his father and the birthright from his brother. She kind of like deceived the family. So there's kind of dis family dysfunction going on in this story. And so one day, Jacob he gets this idea to, to get the blessing from his father. And so he dressed like Esau. The Bible says that he put goat hair on his arms because his dad was blind. And so he went into the room and his father's like, is that you Esau? And Jacob was like, yeah. He said, let me come, come here, let me touch you. So he goes over to, to Isaac and Isaac touches the goat hair on Jacob's arms. Like that's my boy Esau, which makes me wonder how hairy was he? If you could feel, fool your pops with goat hair on your arms, your brother is hairy looking like Chewbacca. However you do that, I don't know how to do that. It's terrible. And so he's like, okay, I gotta get out of here because Esau, he's a hunter. He, he likes, he, I mean, he's skilled with a bow and arrow. He's been out hunting all day. He comes home, he realizes his father has blessed his brother and now Esau has nothing. Esau wants to kill him. So uh, Jacob has to run for his life. He's gotta run for his life because Jacob wasn't a hunter. He was like, he, he liked to stay in climate controlled environments, manicures, dress real nice. Basically, Pastor Robert back in the Bible days. And, and so he, he's not the hunter type. So he's got to get out of there. So he leaves, he leaves his family, he leaves his mom, he leaves his brother running for his life. And then he gets to another land and while he's there, he sees this girl named Rachel and uh, uh, he, she, she is fine. I mean, he's like, she is beautiful. That is my girl. I'm gonna marry that girl. And he goes and asks her father, hey, can I marry her? And her father's like, sure. Yes, you can absolutely marry her. You just gotta work for me for seven years and I'll give her to you as your wife. He's like, 
deal. So he gets married. Well, the night of the wedding, the dad slips in the ugly sister. It's in the Bible. Some of you are like, that's really in there? Yes, it's better than daytime soap operas. Just read your Bible. It's all in there. The dad slips in the ugly sister. So now he got Leah and he wanted Rachel. And so he goes back to the father and says, hey, can I get Rachel? And the dad's like, sure, work another seven years. So as you can see, this story is kind of dysfunctional. He's got hurt from decisions he's made. He's got a brother he hasn't talked to in many years. He's now got a father-in-law who's been dwindling out of money and his wife and all kinds of stuff. So he gets to this point in his life where he's like, I'm leaving this land and I'm going back to my family. And as he's saying, I'm going back to my family, he realizes I got to go back and see my brother Esau. Now, the last time I saw Esau, Esau wanted to kill me. Esau's got an army now, and I'm pretty sure he's not going to be happy, but I got to go back home. So Jacob's getting ready to go back home. And this is the moment right before he sees Esau. The Bible says this in Genesis chapter 32. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. And after taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions, and this left Jacob all alone in the camp. Now, if you ever find yourself all alone, I just want to encourage you that sometimes when you're alone, it's the best time for God to do something in your life. Sometimes when you don't have any phone, any friends to phone, sometimes when you're desperate, sometimes when you're alone, sometimes we're in a dark season, that's the best place for God to show up. And the Bible says that as dawn began to break, a man came and wrestled with him. And when the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. And then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man replied. He said, Jacob. And that meant, it meant subplanter or deceiver. It was attaching him to his old ways. And he said, your name will no longer be, ja- be, no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. And then he blessed Jacob there. And Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life was spared. And the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel. And he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Now, if we keep reading, what we find out is the, right after this moment, the Bible says the sun's coming up and Esau's coming. And Jacob essentially has to limp over to his brother, fearing for his life. And the Bible says that when he meets Esau, they reconcile, there is forgiveness, there is restoration. But could you imagine how hard that walk would have been? You see, when I talked about walking on water, I I like that because sometimes you got to walk on the word, but there's other times you got to walk wounded. (laughs) That's really the kind of walk I want to talk about, walking wounded. Because walking on water, uh, walking on water I think is easy. Walking on water takes God. You can't walk on water if you tried to. It would have to be a miracle of God for you to walk on water. God would have to intervene. God would have to show up. God would have to do something very supernatural for you to humanly walk on water. There's only two known individuals in the history of time who's ever done it, and I've tried a million times and have failed. And we like that, right? Because we like God to do some walking on water miracles. God, just fix my marriage like that. Fix my life like that. God, I tithe. Make sure there's a check in the mail tomorrow. I want everything to be good today. God, fix my social status right now. Come on, God, I've been praying for a man. Let Boaz show up today. All these things. People got excited right there. I'm preaching the wrong message. Preaching the wrong message. We like instantaneous God. We like to hear sermons where God just shows up in a moment and does all the work and we ain't got to do nothing. See, it's, it's, it's one thing to walk on water. It's almost even easier because walking on water takes God, but walking wounded takes you. 
It takes you to get up and keep going when you don't feel like it. It takes you to get past your hurt and your hang up and limp to the other side if you have to. It takes you to get over your fears, your insecurities, your doubts, your hang ups. It takes you. Walking on water takes God, but walking wounded takes you. Let me propose to you this thought that I think it's easier to walk on water than it is to walk wounded. Let me talk about it. Because some of you are like, I don't know, I don't know. Only two people have ever done it. Okay, let's put ourselves in Peter's shoes. So here we are, we're Peter. We've seen God. We've seen Jesus turn water into wine. We've seen him have blind eyes open up. We've seen deaf ears open up. We've seen him even resurrect people from the dead. Walk over to a kid in a casket, put his hand on it, boom, he wakes up. We've seen him have the biggest fish fry in the history of all fish fries with two fish and five loaves. We've seen God do it all. And here Peter is, he's seen Jesus do all these miracles and it's nighttime and there's a man walking on water. It's Jesus. And Peter says, if it's you, Lord, just tell me to come. Now, right then, if you were in the boat and Jesus said, come, and you knew all that Jesus had did and you're watching him walk on the water, I think it would be really easy to go, okay. Matter of fact, it was really easy for Peter to go, okay. Peter didn't have a problem until he took his eyes off Jesus. See, it's easy to walk on the word and it's easy to walk with the word, but when the word doesn't come with you, let me talk about it. It's easy to act all Christian and excited and faith-filled up in this place because God is all up in this building. But when you got to go back to a house that ain't happy and a home that's on the rocks and you got to walk there wounded, it doesn't... When you got to show up back to work and they know what you did last weekend and you got to get in front of people that know all about your past and they don't run your name through the mud, it's easy to do it up in here, but when you got to go. When you said 17 times you were going to show up for your son, but you didn't show up and your baby mama's telling you, are you finally going to come and you got to take that. See, because in this story, the angel didn't go with Jacob. Scholars believe that this angel was a pre-incarnated Jesus. That Jacob was wrestling with Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus popped his hip out of socket, blessed him, and then left. And Jacob still got go see. Esau, this mess with me. I've read this text so many times. I feel like I've had this story memorized. It's branded on my brain. But when I read it this time, something struck out to me. And what struck out to me was this. Why, after he got blessed, did the wound not go away? Because my whole Christian life, I have been told God wants you whole, nothing missing and nothing broken. Well, if God wants nothing broken, how come he's walking with a limp? In my mind, I thought that once I gave my life to Jesus, everything was supposed to be easy now. I thought that it was supposed to be problem free, hater free, financial free. I thought everything was supposed to get better. I thought my life was supposed to improve and every area was gonna be magically fixed. There's no way I would have thought cancer would come to my house. There was no way I thought that I would fail miserably. There was no way I thought that there would be things that happened in my life. I thought that once you got blessed, everything problem was supposed to go away. But what I find out in this story is that you can get a new name and a new limitation all at the same time. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. See, he got a new name. He got blessed, got redeemed from his past, got forgiven for the things that he did, for the things that he said, for the stuff that he stole, and he gets a new name. He's no longer recognized as that, but there's still some limitations he has now. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like uh, 
You know, God forgave you for all that stuff that you did and now you feel like, oh, I feel, tears came down my face and I feel so free. I'm free from shame and condemnation. And yes, you are, but there's still some people that hate you. It's like some of that stuff, you know what I'm saying? It's like you, you get there and, and everything's, it's crazy because of the wounds. It's like you're forgiven and you're free, but you still got to deal with these people. And you got all this stuff going on in, in your life and, you know, you got saved. I don't, I don't need to be at the bar all night anymore. And I ain't got to kick it like that, like I used to. I ain't got to be loaded like I used to. But now you're sober, but you ain't got no friends. Everyone was calling you before. But now the phone ain't ringing no more. I got a new name and a new limitation. I got saved, I got redeemed. God included me into the family of God and I thought the moment I gave my life to Jesus that everyone around me was gonna be happy. Come to find out, I will have my family look at me like I'm crazy. Come to find out some of my friends that said I'm with you for life, they rolled on me. And you know what I'm talking about? You got a new name and a new limitation all at the same time. All because of a wound. You know, there's multiple kinds of wounds. So, for instance, there's, there's self-inflicted wounds. These are the ones that we do to ourselves. Whether it was accidental, on purpose, premeditated. They're self-inflicted wounds. There are mistakes. There are failures. There are our sin. It's the stuff we wish we could erase from our history, but it will be in our book of life forever. It's the promises we didn't keep and the commitments that we failed. It was the people that we failed and hurt along the way. We said something, we did something. It brought shame, it brought condemnation. These are, these are self-inflicted wounds. And not only are we hurt by our self-inflicted wounds, but the people that are closest to us, the people that we love the most, they are casualties of our self-inflicted wound. Our choices did not just affect us. It, inf- it affected the ones that we love the most, the ones that were close to the wreckage. It's a self-inflicted wound. And some of you, you're carrying the weight of self-inflicted wounds. And you're hurt and the people that were close to you are hurt. You can't change it. You can't take it back. It's a self-inflicted wound. And there's not only, and Jacob had those, by the way, he stole stuff from his brother. He did that to himself. But there's not just self-inflicted wounds, there's they-afflicted wounds. It was their fault, they did that, they said it, they lied, they left, they betrayed, they hurt. They put our business out in the street. I gave my heart to them and they crushed it. I waited for them to show up, they never did. I needed that mother, I needed that father, they were absent. I needed them to depend on, but they left. They hurt me, they took advantage of me. They stabbed me in the back when I didn't expect it. They did it. And it wasn't your fault at all. It was their fault. You're not to blame for none of it, but it still hurts. Jacob had some of that. His father-in-law kept stabbing in the back and he didn't do anything, Laban did that, but it's still. And then there's what I call life-inflicted wounds. These aren't yours, you didn't do it, it's not your fault, it's not their fault, it's just life. It's the doctor report that comes that you didn't expect. I didn't know this was gonna be part of the story. 
It's where you lost a sibling or a parent or a child well before you thought you was going to lose that person and you were at the casket graveside and you're flooded with emotion and they didn't do it and you didn't do it, life did it. It's you were pregnant, excited, had names picked out, painted the nursery, had, had clothes already purchased and then somewhere along the way you miscarry. just some of you are single waiting to get married and it feels like it's taking forever it's just life it's the cultural climate that you didn't create that we're just living in you didn't do it someone else might have done it but it's just kind of life just is what it is, we can't, and it hurts. It's your parents getting a divorce and you were saying that now my whole family's, you didn't do it, it's just life. And I often wonder when we're in those modes, when we're in those moments, when we're going through those things, that what do we do with those wounds because when you get a new limitation and a new name, all of a sudden you feel weak and you feel slow. Before I realized that anything changed meant I was running at a fast pace and I was strong, but now that I got a new, limita- a new name and a new limitation, now I feel slow. Now I feel weak, but the Bible tells us that this race is not given to the swift, nor is this battle given to the strong. So I don't have to be fast and strong to win this game. I may just have to limp into my future and limp into my destiny, but if I just keep stepping, if I just keep walking it out, I will get to what God had for me, and it doesn't matter if I have self-inflicted or they-inflicted or life-inflicted wounds. Let me get some keys up here. It will be better, I promise you. Can I get the whole band? Can I just be greedy? Give me the whole band. It's going to be greedy. I started thinking about this because it would have been interesting if it was just Jacob's story and it probably wouldn't have preached that well because it would just be like, okay, that's just one guy. He's got a new name, new limitation. But what if I told you there's other people with a new name, new limitation? So I started investigating this because it kind of just arrested my spirit. And I went to another guy and there's another guy who's got a new name and a new limitation. And his name is Paul. And Paul, his name was Saul before. And Saul, he used to kill Christians and have them arrested. He was an opposer to the way. He was an opposer of anything Jesus. He thought he was doing God a service by getting rid of these Jesus people. And the Bible says that on his road to Damascus, he has this encounter with God where Jesus shows up again, speaks to him, says, why are you persecuting me? And right there, Saul has this encounter with God and God gives him a new name and his name is now Paul. And from that moment on, Paul begins to advance the church, preach all over the place, and he is the one who has penned two-thirds of the New Testament. Most of the scriptures that you quote out of the New Testament came from his hand. And you would have thought that if Paul had this encounter with God, that his life was about to be better. But the Bible doesn't say that at all. The Bible says, matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives this long list of wounds. He says things like this. He says, I have been jailed. I have been flogged. I have been beaten. I have been shipwrecked. I have struggled with friends. I've had ministry friends leave me and I've struggled with enemies. The same people that used to love me when I was arresting Christians are the same ones that are hunting me down as I speak. And Paul calls it a thorn in his side. Wait, it gets better. So Paul talks about this thorn in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and it reads like this. He says, because of the extravagance of those revelations, what revelations? all the shipwreck, all the, all the wounds. He said, and so I wouldn't get a big head. 
I was given the gift of a handicap. I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. See, Satan's angels did his best to try to get me down, try to remind me of my past, try to make me feel shameful, try to tell me this ain't worth it, try to tell me why you keep living for God. You ain't going to change your family. You ain't going to change nothing. Every time you open your mouth for God, you get beat, you get shipwrecked, you get flogged. Satan tried his best to get me down. What he in fact did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first I didn't think it was a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that. And then he told me, my grace. He said, Paul, why you keep worrying about that wound? You can get to where you're going with that. You can fulfill the call of God in your life with that. I know you keep telling me to take it away, but you don't need me to take it away. Why? Because my grace is enough. My grace is enough. My grace is enough. It's all you need. God says my strength comes into its own in your weakness. Paul says once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving into my own weakness and now I take limitations ah, in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. So the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Can I give you a public service announcement? Your wounds don't make you weak, they make you a warrior. Let me say that again. Your wounds don't make you weak, they make you a warrior. See, every time that they saw Jacob walk with a limp, they didn't go, oh, weak Jacob. They said, ooh, that's the guy that wrestled with God and with man and won. Jacob was reminded of a warrior in his limp. Every time they saw the limp, they go, that's the man that wrestled with God and he won. You see, the Bible says that the, that the weapon will be formed, but it won't prosper. That doesn't mean you won't get hit. But what it does say is the devil didn't do his job all the way. Because the fact that you're still standing, and the fact that you're still here, and the fact that you're still praising God, means you are not weak. You are a warrior, and you are forced to be reckoned with. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You're not weak, you're a warrior. So walk wounded. You see, the enemy wants to use your wounds to paralyze you. The enemy wants to use what people did to you and what you did to yourself and what life has thrown at you to keep you paralyzed. He wants you to never become the father you're supposed to become because you're too busy thinking about what your father wasn't. He wants you to stop progressing into the man or woman of God that you're supposed to be because he tries to remind you of how many times you failed. But greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. And if my God is for me, who can be against me? You're not weak. You're not weak. You may be wounded, but you're a warrior. So walk wounded. Let, let, let me give you a secret. Every great fill in the blank, every great Christian, every great pastor, every great leader, every great marriage, every great business leader, can I tell you what the secret that they've learned? The art of walking wounded. I don't care how long they've been married. There's some wounds along the way. I don't care how strong they appear to you. There's some lies that they had to fight off 
and there's some choices that they're not proud of that they had to overcome. I don't care what it looks like up here, if you could see what the bedroom looked like and what the loneliness looked like and what they had to fight through with the tears and the blood and the sweat, I'm telling you that every great fill in the blank. Here's what I'm trying to tell you, that there's greatness on your life, but you won't get it sitting and soaking. The only way that you'll get what God has for you is for you to rise up and to walk wounded. So let me make it practical. Sometimes you got to walk wounded to church. Well, the last church hurt me. Yeah, I know. Walk wounded. But I'm too ashamed. I can't even raise my hands because I feel bad for what I did. And I said I wasn't going to do it, but I did it again. Walk wounded. Well, they're all going to look at me. Yeah, we will. Just get in the building. We're going to look at you with eyes of grace and tell you we're no different. You get your butt back up in this building and you worship God like you were mental and created to worship. The enemy's going to try to derail you and get you to think about all the pain. And sometimes I'm telling you, there are moments where you got to just walk wounded to God's house. Some of you are going to have to walk wounded to counseling. You got issues and they ain't going to go away. You got to talk about it. Some of you need to walk wounded into a connect group. Well, I don't trust people. People hurt me. Well, can I tell you the same people that can hurt you? There are people that can heal you. The Bible says, confess your sins one to another so you will be healed. And I believe that in this house, this is a house of healing. That you're not just going to find friends, you're going to find family. People who are going to ride this thing out with you. People are going to have your back. People are going to say, I ain't going to leave you when times get hard. Sometimes you got to walk wounded in your family and walk wounded in your relationships. Sometimes you got to read your Bible. Wounded. Because if you live this thing long enough, there'll be moments where what's in those pages hurt. There's been times in my life where I didn't even want to open. Where I was too ashamed or too frustrated with God because I prayed that the lump would go away and it didn't go away. But every day I would just walk wounded. Sometimes you got to pray wounded. Me and my wife, we had made a commitment to each other two years ago that we were going to kneel at the side of our bed and hold each other's hands and pray before we went to bed at night. And we had never done that before. I wish we would have sooner. And I promise you, there were days where we were fighting and I knew the night's going to come and I have to go get back to that bed. And there were days I couldn't even say anything because I felt worthless. And there were days where she was so angry and days when we were afraid and days when we didn't know how it was all going to turn out. But we would pray wounded prayers. And it was almost like we were over here, but we were telling ourselves, I don't know if I can get there. but I got to try. 
I gotta try. And some of you just need that. You, you need to hear that, that any movement is better than no movement. I, uh, I started thinking about this text because I started thinking about walking wounded and it was bothering me. And I went to Paul and I started thinking about other people. And there's another person that you may not know, but this person just didn't get a new name. He got a new body. And the Bible says that this, when this person got a new body, no one could recognize him. They didn't even know who it was. They didn't see the scars on his back from being mutilated by the Roman guards. And they didn't see the holes in his brow from a crown of thorns in his head. But the Bible says in John 20 verse 20, put it on the screen. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. And those weren't even his wounds. Those were your wounds and my wounds. He was nailed for our transgressions. And the Bible says that when the disciples and the people saw his wounds, they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Wait a minute, you mean to tell me that Jesus got a resurrected body, got a new body, but still had to walk? He still had to walk? He still had to walk wounded. Maybe there's some power in your wounds because when they saw those wounds, they saw the resurrection power of our Lord and Savior. They didn't see shame. They didn't see condemnation. There's power in your wounds. Let me show you something, let me show you something. See, see I have in my hand right now a piece of steel. And this is a two inch by four foot piece of steel. You can get this at your local hardware store. Nothing special, Home, Lowe's, Home Depot, 10 bucks, you can get one of these. This can't really do much. It's just designed to be formed or to shape into something. It's designed to be used. Nothing's cool about this. You're not going to put this up on your mantle as an art piece. You're not going to put this in a frame and decorate it. But let me show you another piece of steel. Now this steel is just like the other steel. But do you know what the difference between this one and that one? This one has been wounded. This one has been beat on. This one has been put in the fire. This one has had some stuff shaved off of it. Some stuff couldn't make it in this one. Some things couldn't make it in this one. Can I tell you that in the right hands, your wounds don't make you weak. They make you a weapon. They make you a weapon. See, God did not allow your self-inflicted wounds and the they-inflicted wounds and the life-inflicted wounds to paralyze you. He used them to weaponize you. I wish I had five people that would give the Lord a shot of prayer. You see, the Bible tells us many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers us out of them all. Yeah, 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 I know when you leave here, they're gonna be like, aren't you the girl that did that thing? Aren't you the man that did that thing? Yes, I am, and I'm not proud about it. I wish I could change it, but I can't. And it's gonna hurt. And there's gonna be people that are gonna lie about you and say things that aren't true, and it's gonna hurt. And there's gonna be people that get shaved off your life because if God needed them to be there for you to fulfill your purpose, they would be here. But he had to do some stuff to remove some things off your life. It's called the honing process. 
And what I noticed was it painful? Absolutely. When your life gets tried by the fire, when the enemy tries to take you out, when shame, regret, and fear creep in, where the wounds of what people you love did to you get touched, when life shows up and reminds you that you're still fragile and still human, God has a way of taking your self-inflicted wounds, the they-inflicted wounds, and your life-afflicted wounds. And the Bible says he has a way of working all things, all the hammering, all the shaving, all the heat, and working it for your good. Not to, not to paralyze you, but to weaponize you. Because when people see this, you see, when people see you walking with your wound, what it signals to them is if God could do it for her, then sure enough, God can do it for me. That when he sees you still thriving, when it should have been over, if God can do it for them, then God can do it for me. When it sees you fighting that disease and overcoming those obstacles, it makes a public service announcement to all hell and the devil. like we're in a spirit of freedom in this house. So I'm not just, I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes. If you're here tonight and you would say, Pastor Mekon, I'm having a hard time walking wounded because what I did really hurt me. And I don't know if I can recover from it or what they did, it fractured me. Or what life threw out, threw at me, I wasn't ready for it. But you realize that today you gotta get your steps back. And if you're here and you say, Pastor Mekong, can you pray for me? Cause I gotta I got walk out of this place and I'm gonna walk wounded. Come on, lift your hands all across this room. Father God, every hand that's risen, I don't care what title you have. If you're on the worship team and need to go ahead and lift your hands, you might as well get this too. Father God, every single person who has their hands risen tonight, God, I don't know what they're facing. I don't know how hard it's been. I don't know what pressure the enemy has pressed on their life. But God, I know you've been shaping them and you've been forming them for an amazing battle, that you are gonna use them for your glory. That God, everything that the enemy meant for bad, you're gonna turn it around and use it for their good. That they're gonna walk out of here victorious. That they're gonna walk out of here more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus that what the enemy tried to do to take them out, it'll be the same thing that they'll help deliver other people out of the same thing that the enemy tried to take them out of. So God, I pray for courage. God, I pray for no fear. God, I pray for supernatural strength. God, I pray in their weakness that your strength would be made perfect. Hands down. And secondly, with every eye open, Every head up. You've been trying to handle your wounds on your own. And I'm just telling you, if you try to live life without God, if you try to live life without Jesus being your Lord and Savior, you will die in your wounds. You will never be who you're supposed to be. You will never come out. You will never start again. What you'll end up doing is continually self-sabotaging yourself. But if you allow your life and your wounds to be put into his wounded hands, he'll forge you into something amazing.
He'll form you into the weapon you didn't know you could be. And all it takes is for you to say, Jesus, I'm ready to accept that invitation for you to be my Lord and for you to be my Savior. And I don't have it all figured out. And I'm probably going to make some more mistakes. But I'm willing to give you my life. And if that's you tonight with every eye open and every head up and you're saying tonight, I want to give my life to Jesus or maybe even rededicate my life back to him. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to put both hands in the air right now. Both hands in the air right now. Right now. Hands are going up. Hands are going up. Come on. Anybody else? You know this is you. Every time you put a hand up, it gives someone permission. Yep. Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. I see it. Yep. I see it. Yep, I see it. Yes, I see it. Yep, I see it. Anybody else bold enough? Come on. Are you tired of looking like this? The only way you look like this is in his hands. Anybody else? I'm just pausing for a moment. If that's you, come on, put both hands in the air. I want to pray for you. Yep, there it is, young man. There it is, young man. Anybody else? I'm just pausing. Yep, there it is. Another one. There's another one. There's another one. There's another one. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? There's another one. 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 Anybody else? Yep, there's some more up there. Way up in the back. I see you in the very last row. There's two of you. Anybody else? Yep, over here. There's another one. Come on, Holy Spirit. Do your work. And we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask every single person to repeat this prayer after me for the sake of those that are going to be praying this prayer for maybe the very first time. Come on, let's say this. Say, Dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins and make me new. Help me to live for you and to love you all the days of my life. Today I'm new. Today I'm changed. Today I'm forgiven. And today I'm free. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world. Remember, when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to being social.